You are listening to Curious Cat, the podcast that examines the shadowy space where science and the supernatural collide. And I'm your host, Jennifer Hotes. Join me every week as I explore what it means to be a soul in a meat suit. Welcome to Curious Cat. I saw someone, they were driving alone in a car today. They were wearing a medical mask and it took me back, back to when we didn't know anything about a virus that seemed to come out of nowhere, spread fast and have its way with the elderly and others with pre-existing conditions. Well, now that virus is pretty much endemic, meaning we've all been exposed to it many times, so much so that it's in our water system. But that visual, seeing a stranger struggling to pull a mask up over her nose at a red light, I don't know her situation. My reaction was all about me, my old fears. She is a sovereign being and is doing what she chooses in that moment to feel safe enough to sit behind the wheel of her car. From being an Uber driver that maybe shares space with people from around the globe, to someone that might have been diagnosed with walking pneumonia, to an allergy sufferer, to whatever else. That's the truth of the moment. I had unresolved fear, and I had projected it onto her, a stranger living her life. And for that, I am deeply sorry. I found comfort in remembering what I have learned since lockdown, that sunshine is healthy. My cells make vitamin D when exposed to sunshine. Regular exercise helps my body's immune system and my overall mental health. Losing my trick-or-treat candy weight, well, that helps my body not to get into a pattern of inflammation. If I feel tired and I can, I take a rest. What the moment with the woman, the stranger, made clear is that I'm at my worst when I operate from a place of fear. So how do I operate in love instead of fear? I've been experimenting these last few weeks, and I offer myself as a guinea pig, a work in progress, and am putting out all of my uglies in case you find value in listening to my trials. Let's get into it. So my experiment to change fear into love, it began with a deep meditation, and I was drawn back to an old book that I love. It's called Angels in Awakening, and the author is Julie Jancis. She also has a podcast, and this course is kind of also a workbook, and it teaches you how to connect with angels. 
I completed this course over two years ago now. I think it was almost two two years ago to the day. But as I read through the passages again in the book, in the present, redoing the exercises in a different colored pen in the margins, I saw Jancis's words in a different way. Not better and not worse, just Okay, the best way I can describe it, it's like watching a movie after you've read the novel. Deeper, maybe deeper is the right word. So Julie Jancis requires that her students commit to a whole month of being in oneness before they go any further in the teachings. And oneness is being connected to the all. It's the opposite of duality, me versus you, us versus them. You get the idea. Jancis asks for a solid month where students set aside all judgments of themselves and others, negative thinking about the self and others, gossip, politics, thoughts of past emotional pain or triggers. She asks an overarching question, which is, Am I not supposed to think during this month? Which she answers by asking, what is thought? Yeah, she answers her own question by explaining about the dualistic nature of the body and the soul. The soul, Jancis writes, has two components, the energy that vibrates and the soul's thought consciousness or what some call intuition. She then explains that the body also has two components, energy that vibrates and the body's thought system, which is the egoic mind. So basically inside of us are two thought systems, intuition and the egoic mind. Um, And then I have to interject my opinion here too, that the egoic mind has been cast as the villain. I mean, largely cast as the villain. And many, I think with pure loving and light aims at heart, endeavor to kill off the egoic mind. And so while I'm a proponent and currently I'm doing self-experiments to take away the ego's front seat privileges, let's put it that way, I also see clear value in turning down the volume knob on the egoic mind's microphone, but I do not have a goal of killing it off. Okay, so back to Julie Jancis. She reminds us that the egoic mind has kept us and our family alive through the use of fear for millennia. And that fear factor is how ego relates to my fear experimenting. Jancis writes, quote, your family line has survived the caveman era, plagues, wars, and more in part by listening to that fear voice within. The egoic mind has served humanity, unquote. Well, until now, we're now living in a time when many no longer have to fear wild animal attacks or maybe hopefully being cold in the evenings um, through the night or where the next meal is coming from, God willing. The egoic mind, though, it hasn't gotten the memo and updated its alarm sensitivity. In fact, it's taken over most minds. And I just had a thought. 
You know how our systems can become inflamed even when there's no actual virus or infection in us to fight, no bacteria to kill off? Sometimes what our immune system does instead is turn inward and attack us. What if that's what's been happening with the ego? It's bored with less actual visceral risks to our well-being. Has the ego turned inward and has begun attacking us with its oversensitive, overbrash defense system? Is the egoic mind an overly bored child that's stirring up trouble for something to do? Taken further, I remember hearing once that if everything is an emergency, then nothing is an emergency. An overly inflamed ego means the real red alert situation probably won't catch our attention. Jancis encourages us to put the egoic mind back in its place, back seat and lowered volume level. And she says the best way to do that is to notice the egoic mind. If you want to explore this, do your own experiment. Observe your thoughts for an hour. When you choose to observe your thoughts, you instantly make your intuition the observer. Or, okay, to stretch my car passenger uh, analogy to the brink, it puts intuition in the driver's seat. And this subtle perspective shift It's a way to begin living from, through, and with a higher form of thought. Also, as you continue to observe your thoughts, notice how often your ego is flat out wrong and feel that difference in your bones and blood and compare it to the feeling at times when your ego is right. That Recalibration and rebalancing will go a long way towards living less in fear and more in curiosity and love. I mentioned last week that I am reading and rereading Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. His take on the origin of fear resonated through my bones. I'm going to read you a passage from it. The passage is called The Origin of Fear. And he begins it with a question. You mentioned fear as being part of our basic underlying emotional pain. How does fear arise and why is there so much of it in people's lives? And isn't a certain amount of fear just healthy self-protection? If I didn't have a fear of fire, I might put my hand in it and get burned. And the answer is, he says, the reason why you don't put your hand in the fire is not because of fear. It's because you know that you'll get burned. You don't need fear to avoid unnecessary danger, just a minimum of intelligence and common sense. For such practical matters, it is useful to apply the lessons learned in the past. Now, if someone threatened you with fire or with physical violence, you might experience something like fear. This is an instinctive shrinking back from danger, but not the psychological condition of fear that we are talking about here. The psychological condition of fear is divorced from any concrete and true immediate danger. It comes in many forms, unease, worry, anxiety, nervousness, 
tension, dread, phobia, and so on. This kind of a psychological fear is always of something that might happen and not of something that's happening now. You are in the here and now while your mind is in the future. This creates an anxiety gap. And if you are identified with your mind and have lost touch with the power and simplicity of the now, that anxiety gap will be your constant companion. You can always cope with the present moment, but you cannot cope with something that is only a mind projection. You cannot cope with the future. I really like that. Did you catch the bit about what fear really is? It comes in many forms, but it's always divorced from true immediate danger. This kind of psychological fear is always of something that might happen, might. And that means it's us traumatizing us with wouldas, shouldas, and couldas. Here's the big one for most humans death. That's the number one fear of most people. Eckhart Tolle says, quote, death is a stripping away of all that is not you. The secret of life is to die before you die and find that there is no death. I adore that statement. I found more sage wisdom from him in particular about suffering because the idea of suffering causes many to have deep fear and anxiety. So here's that passage. The whole essence of Zen consists in walking along the razor's edge of now to be so utterly, so completely present that no problem, no suffering Nothing that is not who you are in your essence can survive in you. In the now, in the absence of time, all your problems dissolve. And this is the bit that blew my mind. It's quote, suffering needs time. It cannot survive in the now. (sighs) I just need to exhale after all that. If you need proof, of that statement. Stop whatever you're doing. Ask, what is causing me to suffer now? Go ahead and press pause. I will too. All right. I did a quick now assessment and I found that my tailbone has been hurting from this chair and I also needed a drink of water. Two quick adjustments and I was good to go. Hardly a scientific experiment, but I get what Tolle was getting at. There are two other passages I'd love to share with you. The first is, are you worried? Are you worried? Do you have many what-if thoughts? You are identified with your mind, which is projecting itself into an imaginary future situation and creating fear. There is no way that you can cope with such a situation because it doesn't exist. It's a mental phantom. You can stop this health and life-corroding insanity simply by acknowledging the present moment. Become aware of your breathing. Feel the air flowing in and out of your body. Feel your inner energy field. All that you have ever had to deal with, cope with in real life 
as opposed to imaginary mind projections, is this moment. Ask yourself, what problem do you have right now? Not next year, tomorrow, or even five minutes from now. What is wrong with this moment? You can always cope with the now, but you can never cope with the future, nor do you have to. This answer, the strength, the right action, or the resource will be there when you need it, not before, not after. He also asks in this passage later on, I wasn't going to read this, but it caught my eye. Are you a habitual waiter? How much of your life do you spend waiting? What I called small scale waiting is waiting in line at a post office, in a traffic jam, at the airport or waiting for someone to arrive, to finish work, and so on. Large-scale waiting is waiting for the next vacation, for a better job, for the children to grow up, for a true meaningful relationship, for success to make money, to be important, to become enlightened. It is not uncommon for people to spend their whole life waiting to start living. He reminds us that waiting is a state of mind. Basically, it means that you want the future. You don't want the present. Whoa, that's deep. It means that you want the future. You don't want the present. You don't want what you've got, and you want what you haven't got. Whew, that's powerful. Um, He has one other passage I'd love to share with you. It's on page 125 of The Power of Now. Let the breath take you into the body. Again, it begins with a kind of a question. At times when my mind has been very active, it has acquired such momentum that I find it impossible to take my attention away from it and feel the inner body. This happens particularly when I get into a worry or anxiety pattern. Do you have any suggestions? If at any time you're finding it hard to get in touch with the inner body, it is usually easier to focus on your breathing first. Conscious breathing, which is a powerful meditation in its own right, will gradually put you in touch with the body. Follow the breath with your attention as it moves in and out of your body. Breathe into the body. Feel your abdomen expanding and contracting slightly with each inhalation and exhalation. If you find it easy to visualize, close your eyes and see yourself surrounded by light or immersed in a luminous substance a sea of consciousness, then breathe in that light. Feel that luminous substance filling up your body and making it luminous also. Then gradually focus more on the feeling. You are now in your body. Don't get attached to any visual image. This isn't related to fear, but right beneath that is a passage I have to share before the break. It's the art of listening. And I am trying to be a better listener, a more active listener every day. So this is why I noticed it, I think. When listening to another person, don't just listen with your mind. Listen with your whole body. 
feel the energy field of your inner body as you listen. That takes attention away from thinking and creates a still space that enables you to truly listen without the mind interfering. You are giving the other person space, space to be. It is the most precious gift you can give. That's pretty amazing. And I've heard and I've read about active listening. And if your mind is thinking of what you're going to say when that person's speaking, you're actually not listening. So I'm guilty of that uh, more often than I like to admit. After a quick break, I'm going to share a great article with you, as well as introduce you to a woman named Lydia, a survivor that chooses peace and love over fear every day. If you haven't heard yet, the Homewrecker podcast isn't your typical podcast. Join us, Alex and Monique, as we discuss a wide range of topics like spiritual healing, privacy, ghosts, conspiracy theories, health, self-sufficiency, aliens, and pretty much anything else we want. Ghosts? Conspiracy theories? Who believes in that stuff? Uh, we do. Allegedly. Supposedly. In theory. So listen to us and subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, Podbean, Google Play, or anywhere else you enjoy your podcasts. Help us wreck and shatter conventional wisdom and ways of thinking while having some fun in the process. Hey, that's my line. Yeah. Hey, everybody, Karen Rontowski here. I hate to interrupt the Curious Cat podcast, one of my favorites, but if you want to double your paranormal fun when you're done here, come check out my show, Paranormal Karen. I interview exorcists, demonologists, healers, psychics, really anyone that can make a family gathering uncomfortable is on my show. If you want to see everything I do, go to KarenRontowski.com. And I know you're thinking that sounds hard to spell. Well, it is. I have misspelled it on hundreds of tax forms. So if that doesn't work for you, go to PsychicStandup.com or ParanormalKaren.com. There you can find my Patreon. You can book a tarot reading. You can take a tarot class. You can find everything, including my stand-up comedy clips. That's right. I've been doing stand-up for 30 years. If you go to those places, you can also see my psychic stand-up show where I mix psychic and tarot readings. Yes, the future never looked so funny. So check me out at KarenRontowski.com, ParanormalKaren.com, or PsychicStandup.com. And can someone please find me a marketing person to put all this in one place? Now back to the show. Hi, thanks for joining me again. I promised you I would share a really good article. It's from Everyday Health, and I've got the links in the show notes. The title is How to Get Better at Facing Your Fears According to Science. The author is Jenny Splitter, and she opens the article mentioning that as kids, facing our fears is often a rite of passage. We learned there were no monsters under the bed or danger in the basement. As we get older, facing our fears can become more complicated, but you don't always have to overcome your fears. We obviously wouldn't want to lose our fear of a speeding car or other real dangers, she says. Fear is a basic human emotion designed to motivate us to avoid danger, explains Seth Gillihan. He's a PhD, a clinical psychologist, and the author of the CBT deck for anxiety, rumination, and worry. A physiological arousal happens, what's called the fight or flight response, and it energizes you to move away from the threat. 
Physiological changes triggered by fear include rapid heartbeat, redirection of blood flow away from the periphery toward the gut, and tensing of the muscles, according to the definition of fear from the American Psychological Association. Fear is related, but not synonymous with phobia or anxiety, Dr. Stern explains. With anxiety, it's the not knowing what's going to happen that triggers the emotional response, she says, or the future. Phobias are also different, says Dr. Gillahan, as they generally aren't based in a present danger. And then they ask a question, should all fears be faced? When you're afraid of something you cannot easily avoid, like an elevator, or if avoiding the thing you fear puts you at risk, like getting a shot at the doctor, there are clear benefits of facing that fear. It's always up to the person whether they want to face that fear, but be honest with yourself, Gillahan adds. Fear tends to grow when we avoid things. At the end of the article, they give some tips for facing fears you want to get over, and these are compiled from Gillahan and Stern. Number one, stop judging yourself. Judging yourself negatively for being afraid of something is not going to help you face that fear. Instead, consider practicing reframing how you look at that fear, says Stern, rather than thinking of being afraid as good or bad, consider it information your body is telling you, she explains. Then assess what value that information has and what to do about it. The second tip is slow down and breathe from your belly. (sighs) Stern helped develop a method called the meta moment. To do it, pause and take a deep breath, which helps to activate your parasympathetic nervous system, the system in your body that is responsible for rest, sleeping, and enjoyment, among other things. It's the body's calmed down state. When the parasympathetic system is activated, you'll more likely be able to think clearly and face your fear. Don't rush your breath, Stern says. If you try to breathe from your high up in your chest, it's not going to be as effective as compared with your slow, deep belly breaths. You can even put your hand on your belly and watch it go up and down to direct the breath into the belly. And I think of that in my um, new little yoga practice that I've been doing. They always have you belly breathe. Number three, be an emotion scientist. Another way to face your fears is to try to be what Stern calls an emotion scientist. Listen and be curious about what's driving you to be afraid of something rather than shutting down or ignoring it. Learn where that fear is coming from, Stern says. You might see a new way to face those fears, or you might realize there's less to be afraid of than you thought. Number four, practice positive self-talk. Instead of being impatient, replace that negative self-talk with positive self-talk, says Stern. Tell yourself, I've got this. I'm going to get this. I've been here before and I can do this again. And the fifth tip is to try exposure therapy. And I think we talked about that on a past um, episode I I taped, and I'll put the links to that in the show notes. But basically, it's little bites of what scares you. So um, if you're afraid of public speaking, maybe you 
um, try a speech in the mirror and it's just you with you. Next, you say it in the living room when you know your kids will be coming through or your partner. And then you try to say part of it just out in public, maybe at the grocery store where you know you won't see them again. You take these little baby steps that are like immunizations against the bigger fear. I promised you that I was going to share about a pretty remarkable woman named Lydia. I was doing work downstairs yesterday and I had the television on. Normally it's on uh, hockey and there wasn't a hockey game yet. So Dateline was on and um, the episode I've linked to it in the show notes and it was about a woman that was murdered in Denver, Colorado and that's what caught my eye and there was a second victim and she was in Fort Collins. Lydia, the second victim, survived in spite of being brutally assaulted, drenched in bleach and set on fire. She came back from the dead to stare into the face of her attempted killer in a courtroom and say she forgives him. In a written statement that was read to him by her father, because Lydia was undergoing physical therapy to relearn how to speak, she said it was easier to forgive him than to carry the weight of that hate and anger for the rest of her life. Dateline continued to follow Lydia's progress and interviewed her at the end of that two-hour segment, which I highly recommend. She said she is balancing now. She's balancing what her soul desires to make, to do, and become with the place where she is in her body and spirit's recovery. She gave the interviewer, Keith Morrison, a bracelet that said, Live your days inspired anew. L-Y-D-I-A. It's her name, Lydia. And the sentiment represents the way she chooses to live each day. She said she could have lived in fear for the rest of her life. Fear. But she chooses to live in peace and love instead. It's the braver road. And if Lydia can find the strength and determination to do so, I'd like to try too. Thanks for listening to Curious Cat. Until next time, stay curious. I love you.